pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we come to You now knowing that Your Word often stirs up within us at times an understanding of our own sin. We pray that as that is the case, that You would lead us to repentance and also stir up within us faith that Your Gospel is true, that when Jesus said it is finished, it truly is finished. We pray now that as You instruct us by Your Word in the power of Your Spirit, that both of those things would be present, an awareness and conviction of our sin, but a great confidence that Jesus is our Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning, once again, is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, and you'll find that on page 978 and 979 of the Pew Bible. Well, this is the fourth and the final uh, installment in this series on marriage as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, And we'll move on next week to looking at the relationship between children and parents. But thus far, we've talked about God's design for marriage, that He wants us to leave and to be joined together. We've talked about God's purposes for marriage, that He uh, designed it for companionship, for oneness, for intimacy. Uh, but also that we would look beyond marriage itself and see in marriage a signpost pointing to the relationship between Christ and the church, and we would long for that intimacy with Him, uh, that we would grow in holiness together and learn to serve alongside one another. Today, uh, we're uh, also going to look at God's roles for marriage. So let me read here, beginning in verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the Lord is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You've, I'm sure, heard the expression, women are from Venus, men are from Mars. We're different. There are differences about us, and sometimes those differences actually end up frustrating us uh, because the other person is different. Uh, We don't understand one another. We don't do the same kinds of things. We don't respond to things the same way. Experientially and instinctively, we know that there are differences between the sexes. Uh, Sally and I used to enjoy listening to Garrison Keillor, who's a radio personality and storyteller. 
And <clears throat> Garrison Keillor is uh, more liberal by nature, but gives uh, uh, equal opportunity to jokes on both sides of the aisle. And he said in one story that he wanted to do a little experiment. He said he wanted to take his son and his daughter and see if there are really distinct personalities or rather distinct uh, DNA sort of built into them that determines how they live. And so he gave to his son a baby doll and he gave to his daughter a truck. And after a little while, he began to notice what they were doing with this doll and with this truck. The little girl had taken the truck and wrapped it up in a blanket and put it inside its carriage, her carriage, and was strolling it around. And of course, the boy had ripped the arms off of the baby doll and was using them as guns. He realized, yes, we really are different. We're different in the way that we communicate with one another. We're different in connecting with our emotions, as people say. We have different likes and dislikes. The movies that we choose are often different. Uh, the things that we enjoy doing. Uh, for me, and probably for most men, shopping is the most strenuous sport that there is. Shopping for clothes in a department store is for me what kryptonite is for Superman. I grow weak, I wilt, I'm not able to handle it. We have different likes and interests. We approach tasks differently. We don't have time this morning to talk about the differences between the sexes or even to pin it down with a, a definition. But God has called us to different roles in marriage because He's made us differently. Adam was made to fulfill a task and Eve was made to help him in fulfilling that task. We're made to complement one another. In fact, we're made in God's image, but we're not able to actually image God in the world without one another. Because we each have components, characteristic qualities of God that are displayed uniquely in men and uniquely in women, and both are necessary for displaying the image of God in the world. We're made differently, and we need one another, and we're called to unique roles. And so what we can say is that the Bible gives us roles in marriage that are different and are appropriately designed for the uniqueness of our gender differences. They're designed for the uniqueness of our gender differences. Our roles are not determined by the culture. That is often done in every culture, right? Women do this, men do that. And it changes depending on what culture you go to, and it changes throughout history what time period you live in. But roles are not determined by culture. Instead, they're determined by the wisdom of God and how He has made men and women and how He has ordered things in order to accomplish His purposes. And so roles are determined by God, and that's the first thing we want to look at this morning. What are the roles of husband and wife? Well, the first... Let's deal with wives, because after all, that's where Paul starts. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Paul says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit here means to be arranged under, under an authority, 
arrange yourself under an authority. It was often used of soldiers who would arrange themselves under their superior officer. And so Paul is instructing wives here to be submissive or to arrange themselves under the authority of their husbands. Why? Because verse 23, for the husband, declares God, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So the wife is to submit to the husband, and he qualifies that further in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In other words, it's comprehensive. There's not an area or aspect of life in which the husband is not the head over the wife, in which the wife is not called to submit to her husband. He goes on further in verse 33, if we were to look at the end of the passage, to clarify it even further. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's actually the same word that's used in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not merely respect, but it's actually reverence. In the way in which you reverence Jesus, honor Him, hold Him in high regard, Paul says that is the attitude in which wives ought to approach their husbands, to revere them. In fact, he says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the same manner that you would submit to the Lord Jesus, in which you revere Him, in which you hold Him in high esteem, in which you glorify Him and glory in Him. Wives are to submit to their husbands in that way. In other words, we might say that a wife's role is to respectfully submit to the authority of her husband. She is to respectfully and supportively follow his lead. Paul uses the body analogy here that we're one together in one body. And you might think of it as the husband as the head and he sets the direction and the course of the marriage. But the body is to follow along and be to supportive and enable the head to make those decisions and to move out in that particular course and direction. And so the wife is to see herself as the enabling power the empowerment behind the husband that enables him to do his calling, which is to be the leader and the head over the family. She has resources that he needs. She has emotional resources that he needs. She has organizational types of resources that that he needs. She has resources of wisdom and insight that he needs. So if the husband is to lead and be the head of the family, he needs the wife. In other words, this position of submission, this position of respect and reverence is not one of weakness, but actually one of great strength and power. Because actually the Lord Himself is spoken of as the one who is the helper to His church. It takes great strength, great resources, great power to be the one behind the husband who enables him and empowers him to do his job and do his duty. And so these resources that a woman has are not used on herself, but to enable her husband. Think of Proverbs 31, where there is this list literally from A to Z. It's an acrostic poem, a list from A to Z about what a faithful wife does she cares for her family 
She's involved in real estate. Her husband is praised at the city gates. She is involved in sowing. She's planting. She's reaping. All of these things are done for what purpose? To honor her husband. To honor her husband. So she's using everything that she has to empower and to honor him. But not only so, and this may be even the most important thing, but her respect of him trumps the disrespect that a husband experiences in the world. Her respect of him trumps the disrespect that a husband experiences in the world. A man goes out into the world and he comes along roadblocks. He comes across people who do not appreciate him. Probably people who do not agree with his ideas at work. He is disrespected in the church. He is disrespected in the workplace. And he feels that. He's made as someone who's to go out and labor on God's behalf, and yet there are oppositions. There are forces that would seek to tear him down. But one of the greatest strengths of a man is to come home to a wife who respects him, who welcomes him home, and who delights in him. You see, that is great power in a man's life. That though the world be against him, if his wife is for him, he is able to move out into the world with great power, with great confidence, and with great dignity. You see, this is not a position of weakness, being submissive. It's a position of power and enabling a husband to be the strong man that God has called him to be. And so a man is made strong by a woman who gives him respect strengthened to go out into the world now in our culture and really this has been going on for quite some time equality of race equality of gender equality of creed has been a a driving force in our culture for a long time and in in some ways rightfully so it has righted many injustices in our culture but one misconception that has arisen out of that desire for equality is this idea that function or even position determines worth. My function, my position even, determines my worth. And therefore, if that's true, I need a higher position. But that's not the way that the Gospel works and it's not the way that the Bible speaks. And because of that, many wives find this sense of submitting to an authority over them to be unworkable. Especially in the fact that their own experiences find that this is not a man that I respect. It's not a man that I want to submit to. It's not a man that I want to revere. And so Christian wives often find themselves giving up. But before you get to that point, this is a two-way street. And let's look at what husbands are called to do. The role that they are called to. Because I think what we'll actually find is they're called to the more difficult task within the marriage relationship. What are husbands called to do? Husbands are called to love their wives. If you notice, the passage here takes more time focusing on the husband than on the wife. And the command is actually more challenging for the husband than it is for the wife. Now, he's already stated that the husband is the head of the wife. But notice that the command that he gives to the husband is not rule. 
It's not even lead. It's love. Love. Husbands, he says in verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Biblical leadership in the home looks like the way in which Jesus sacrificed Himself for His bride. This is the harder calling. Why? Because the husband's asked to give up everything. Now I want to say something first before we dive into this too much further. That a husband's authority is a derived authority. It's a derived authority. It is not his by right. It comes from the Lord Jesus Himself. It's analogous to the fact that Christ received a church, a bride, from the Father. And He is to care for that bride and one day will present her back to the Father. In fact, He will hand over the entire kingdom to the Father. And He will have to give account to the Father of how He has loved and cared for His bride. And in an analogous fashion, the husband will do the same thing. He will give an account before the Heavenly Father of how He has cared for His bride. The authority is not His own. It comes to Him from above. What does that mean? It means that a husband can never force his wife to submit. A husband can never force his wife to submit. That's not his role. It may be the wife's duty to be submissive and reverence towards her husband. But the husband does not have the right to command respect because it's an authority that's given to him. Husbands earn respect by the way they love their wives. Husbands earn respect by the way in which they love their children. Husbands earn respect by the way in which they lead their families. Husbands earn respect by the way in which they do their jobs. And so husbands are called to earn this. This right or this this uh, authority does not come by right. And so it's given to us by God to do what? Well, to sacrifice first and foremost for our wives. It's what he says. Christ Loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And we're to love our brides the same way. Sacrificially. Giving up ourselves for them. So headship is not in a privileged position. But rather it's the position of a servant. I'm in the position of headship. In the position of authority. So that I might serve and bless another. You remember the disciples arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, the Gentiles lord it over others, but not so with you. But instead, you should be servant of all. And that's the position of a husband, using his authority to serve his wife. Headship looks like taking full responsibility for our wives' well-being. That's what headship looks like. That when I get married, I'm pledging, I'm taking responsibility for your well-being. I'm not leaving it up to you. I'm not leaving it up to anyone else. I'm taking the responsibility for you to take care of you, to watch over you, to bless you. Mike Mason, who uh, wrote The Mystery of Marriage, said it this way. 
Unless one is challenged to give everything, one is not in love. Unless one is challenged to give everything, one is not in love. And that's a word to husbands, to give everything sacrificially for the good of your wife. To protect her, to guard her, to stand further out in front and take greater blows. That means if someone is a is attacking her. Maybe it's an in-law who is attacking her. It's your job to stand in front. We're called to live sacrificially for our brides. Secondly, we're called to nourish. It's what he says on down here in verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. We are called to nourish or build up, feed our wives. Certainly that's true spiritually, so that the Word of God ought to be present in our home. So that it ought to be encouragement. We ought to make them feel more beautiful, more attractive than they think about themselves. So that they have confidence in life. I can remember earlier on in our marriage, uh, <clears throat> family devotions were a bit of a challenge and I didn't understand why. And finally Sally told me, you know, when we ever talk about the Bible, I feel stupid. I feel stupid because I feel like whatever I say, you contradict what I say. And I certainly didn't have that intention in my heart and mind, but that in effect was what I was doing. I wasn't nourishing her the Word. I wasn't building her up, but I was doing the opposite. I was tearing her down. And so we're called to nourish, to make her feel desired, to pursue her, to make her feel attractive. Thirdly, we are to cherish. That's what he says here. Verse 29, to cherish her. In other words, we're to take care of her. And how do we do that? Well, verse 28 provides the key. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. In other words, husbands, we're to care for our wives the way that we care for the most sensitive parts of our bodies with tenderness and mercy. We're to consider her more important than ourselves. We're to consider how our decisions impact our wives and our families. We're to consider them. We're to be engaged with them and not passive. We're to communicate with them. We're to listen to them. We're to seek to understand them because ultimately we want to care for them. You may have heard the story of the man named uh, Robertson McQuilkin, who was at one time the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. In 1990, he resigned from his position, not because of retirement or to take another job, but because of his love for his bride. You see, his wife had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And over time, she grew more and more frail and more and more confused. They lived roughly a mile, uh, or excuse me, half a mile from the campus, which meant if you were to walk, it would be a mile round trip to campus and back. She was comfortable as long as he was present, but she grew anxious and afraid when she was not there, when he was not there. And so she would walk to campus to his office, sometimes up to ten times a day. Her feet were often so bloody that he would personally have to get down and wash her feet in water. 
And ultimately, he decided he would resign his position to care for his wife. Friends, that's a picture of biblical headship. Where you sacrifice everything, even a career. Where you seek to nourish and cherish, caring for them in every way. You see, when that happens, it makes a woman secure. It makes her understand that she's wanted. It makes her feel safe in the arms of her husband. Just as men need and desire that respect and affirmation, a woman needs to know that she's wanted and loved and cherished. And when a man treats her that way, that's exactly what begins to take place. So that in times of stress, she feels more relaxed. The pressure's taken off. He's here. He has my best interest at heart. He loves me and he cherishes me. And so it makes her turn from all of these inward stresses, releasing her from that so that she can go about her business, seeking to honor and respect him, seeking to serve her family, and seeking to use her gifts and talents in the world for the glory of God. Do you see how this reciprocal kind of relationship works when both husband and wife are loving one another and respecting one another? Well, those are the roles. Let me say a couple of words about the reasons and then the resource. Why? Why did God design it this way? Well, He did so first and foremost so that we would glorify one another. This relationship between a husband and a wife feeds off of the relationship between Christ and His bride. What is Jesus seeking to do for His bride? The writer of Hebrews tells us to bring many sons to glory. He wants to glorify her. Make her more beautiful and radiant. And what does the church call to do? But glorify her Savior by living in submission to Him. By loving Him and serving Him in every way possible. And so what we're doing in this relationship is glorifying each other by enabling one another to be all that God has called us to be. That's what it looks like to glorify. To serve each other. To bless each other. To love each other in the ways that God has called so that it actually puts our spouse in the position to grow. To be glorified. To be more and more like Jesus. To fulfill their role to God. You see, we often want to spend most of our time trying to figure out how can I get my spouse to do what he is called to do? Or how can I get my spouse to do what she is called to do? And you know that doesn't work. It just leads to arguments, doesn't it? When we're more focused on our spouse doing what the Scriptures say. But actually the key to each other's success is when we do our duty. When we fill our roles out. And we hold uphold what God has declared us to be. And in this sense, our roles are designed to complete each other. For the husband to bring out the beauty and the glory of a wife. For the wife to bring out the, the confidence and the strength of her husband. And it's only when we're fulfilling our roles that that begins to take place in our spouse. That's why at times a woman must contend with her husband if he is leading in an unbiblical fashion. 
If he's not leading according to the word and she must contend with him at times, yes, respectfully, but contend with him to say, now let's consider this according to God's word. Because what does it do? It puts him in a position to go to the scriptures, to be the man of God that examines the word so that he has the right path to take. Do you see how when she fulfills her role, it helps him to grow in his? Or at times, it's why a woman must help her husband to be sensitive towards people who can't keep up. Maybe it's the children. There are, there are expectations of the children that he ought not have. And when a wife comes alongside him and respectfully helps him to see that, and he grows in a sense of sensitivity to his children. Or maybe for the husband, it's time listening to his wife so that he can help her when she's feeling anxious and worried, when the pressures are mounting up on her so that she does become more relaxed as he takes the weight and puts it on his own shoulders. Friends, we glorify one another by helping each other Become what Jesus has designed for us to be by simply fulfilling our roles. And over time, the Lord strengthens our marriage. But there's another reason here, and it's to display the relationship between Christ and the church. Because what we want is for the world to see how glorious our Savior is. So that the wife says, I want Jesus to be glorified by the way that I submit to my husband so that they will see Jesus' authority is a good authority over me. And the husband says, I want Jesus to be glorified by the way in which I love my bride so that the world would see this is how Jesus loves His people. And so we say it's for Jesus' sake that I'll submit. It's for Jesus' sake that I'll love. And so He gives us clear roles. And He gives us glorious reasons for them. But He finally gives us this. The resource. You see, we're called to do the thing that actually challenges us the most. Wives are very good at loving their husbands. Men are often great at marrying women that they respect. But we're called to do the thing that challenges us the most. And it challenges us the most because we're actually cursed in the callings that God has given to us. Let me explain this just a moment. Genesis chapter 3. The wife is told because of the sin in the garden that she is cursed and that her desire for, will be for her husband, but he will rule over her. In other words, she'll have a desire for him. She will want him and she will want to be completed by him. But she will want him so much that she will desire to rule over him so that she feels secure. And he says, but your husband will rule over you. To the man, there's the curse in his calling, which is on the ground. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. You're going to be worn out by it. So what happens here? The man works harder so that he can accomplish the goal of laboring in the Lord's vineyard. But it's hard. Things don't go right. And so he works even harder to get a sense of respect out of his job. And he ignores his wife. And what happens to the wife? Well, she longs for that attention. Longs to be cherished. Longs to be nourished. 
And when she sees it's, it's not happening, she, she begins to nag at him. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. What's she trying to do? She's trying to reel him in to gain a sense of control there. And do you see what takes place when our sin creeps in? The more she pulls, the more he goes out there. And the more he goes out there, the more she pulls and tension is created. How can we overcome this? Well, he gives us the answer here very clearly when he speaks of wives. Verse 21, before giving instructions to wives, he says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember, this is part of what it looked like to be filled with the Spirit. Submission. In other words, if she's filled with the Spirit, she'll want to submit. And she'll go to Christ, longing for Him to pour out His Spirit upon her. So that just as Jesus came from heaven and submitted Himself to the purposes of the Father, became a servant Himself, now He gives strength to the wife so that she can do her duty as well. And for the husband... He looks at Christ too as a description of how Christ sacrifices for His bride. And the husband is filled up by Jesus so that Jesus loves me. Jesus honors me. Jesus will glorify me. And it gives him power to go love his wife sacrificially. Friends, there's no other resource than Christ for this. If we look to our spouse it will not come because we'll try to draw from them something that Jesus didn't intend for us to get from them. But Christ Himself will be our resource to break that pattern so that husbands turn to their wives and love them out of the love of Jesus so that wives turn to husbands and respect them and revere them out of the respect and reverence that Jesus has or His Father. And when that begins to take place, both husband and wife and the whole institution of marriage is glorified. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He said it will never happen unless we turn to Him. One final word. Be patient with one another. Be patient. Let each other stumble and fall. But come together and look to Jesus. Because He is all that we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn to You and we have seen the beauty of marriage that You have ordained for husbands and wives. And yet we've also seen how sin has marred it and in some ways corrupted and destroyed it. Father, we pray that as we submit to Your Word and Your glorious purposes, that You would make all of our marriages a radiant beacon shining outward so that the world could see what a glorious Savior we have. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.